You're listening to Chickens Can't See Cubes, the podcast all about absolutely 100% true facts that are not made up. I'm your host, Piper Dawes, and with me as always is Christopher Parr, Director of the Munchausen Institute for Totally Real Research. Hi, Chris. Hello. Chris has gathered his favourite facts from the Institute's activity this week, and he's going to share them with us today. Are we uh, super excited to bring our listeners some totally true facts, Chris? Super excited, Piper. In the words of Johnny, if he were an academic and not a banker, apparently, who is being torn apart, Lisa. I did not hit her. It's not true. It's bullshit. I did not hit her. I did not. Oh, hi, facts. (laughs) Sometimes we get political on this show, and this week's first fact is no exception. Throw me some ointment, Chris. It's about to get topical. Here's fact one. At the last Tory party conference, MPs won prizes by guessing which child was not Boris Johnson's. Party conferences are where politicians get to chat about how great they are in a public setting whilst ingesting copious amounts of narcotics and sleeping with sex workers. But it's not all doom and gloom. Um, A lot of thought and planning goes into party conferences and the Tory one has high expectations when it comes to what's on offer for for delegates. As the late 80s folk rock band Fairground Attraction once sent, it's got to be perfect. And this ain't no fairground, even if the attractions are fairground. You see where I'm going with this. I'm not going to hold your hand through it, Chris. Anyway, I thought I, I thought Tories weren't allowed to give away orphan children as prizes anymore. Uh, no, you're right. The Conservative Party's orphans for cash scheme in which donors could get free orphans when they made a donation was scrapped years ago for human rights reasons. But the children here are not prizes. They're merely objects in a game being played by politicians. Ah. Um, I should also point out for our overseas listeners that Tory is basically a pejorative term for the Conservative Party, who is currently the ruling party in the British Parliament. Yes, I'm not really sure why why the word Tory. Tory comes from an Irish word for bandit. Oh, and I believe it came from some point in Irish history when a Conservative Parliament were being assholes to the Irish. Sounds on brand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Conservative Party conferences are notorious in British politics for being basically posh people's fairgrounds. They're full of stalls and games set up by party donors or corporate sponsors at which Tory MPs can win lavish prizes, the likes of which the plebs who attend normal working class fairgrounds could only dream of. Things like iPads, Tuscan villas or overpaid consultancy jobs. Wow. Wow. I mean, it's, it's all, exp- all expenses. No, no expense spared. That's the one. The opposite of what I was going to say. Yeah, <laughs> it's, <laughs> they, really, they really go all out of the Tory party conference. And, I, you know, obviously I'd never vote Tory, but I, part of me would like to just be a delegate for a little bit. Just see what it's like. I feel like I'm missing out a little bit, don't you, Chris? You want to you turn up for a bit? Uh, maybe in some kind of undercover capacity. Oh, sorry. Fancy dress capacity. <laughs> what would Tory fancy dress be? Well, I guess it would just be a nice suit and a silly hairdo. Oh, yeah. Right, well, tell us about this game, Chris, then. (laughs) So at this year's Tory party conference, the 2021 conference, there was a game that was kind of like the classic village fate game of guess the weight of a fruitcake. But instead of a fruitcake, it was a group of children 
And instead of guessing the weight, MPs had to guess which of the children was not Prime Minister Boris Johnson's offspring. Right, okay, okay. I mean, obviously, we've all been to, like, a, a summer fate or whatever. Obviously. Obviously. I mean, we all have, like, we grew up on them, didn't we, Chris? But it generally doesn't involve, you know, betting on children or anything. Children aren't involved unless they're actually playing the games, usually. So so this is slightly different, but also quite exciting. Uh, how difficult is this game, Chris? Because, like, are there, are, there, are there, like, 50 kids and you've got to pick, like, one that's not the offspring of Boris Johnson? Yeah, so there were 20 kids all stood together. Uh, the game was originally going to be a riff on the classic game of guess how many sweets are in the jar, with MPs having to guess how many children Boris Johnson actually has. However, this was scrapped in favour of the game they actually had due to it being deemed too difficult, as Johnson's number of children is famously anywhere between six and infinity. <laughs> Side note, we, uh, he recently came out as saying he does have seven children. Well, he, he has seven now. If you go on Google now, it doesn't say that anymore. That is not actually correct anymore because, you know, facts change. Well, seven is between six and infinity, isn't it? So I'm still right. Yes, you are still right, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> so 20 kids, I mean, that's quite a difficult game. So what have they got to go on then? What, what do, how do you play this game with, with any sort of shrewdness? How do you be, how do you be good at this game? Well, the obvious thing to do would be to examine the children and try and determine which one looks the most like Prime Minister Boris Johnson. Oh, yeah. No, obviously, you've got the visuals. Do you get to talk to any of them? Um, yeah, they were allowed to converse with the children. Oh, OK, cool, cool. So, I mean, because that, that gives you an extra edge, doesn't it? Because then cause you can go, well, these, these are all messy-haired, bumbling children, because that's literally just what a child is. Most children, I'd be like, that could be that could be Boris Johnson's kid. Yes, but this one has a particularly Dickensian vocabulary. Yeah. So I think this one might be Johnson's. <laughs> so we will eliminate him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, so assuming, Chris, assuming I did win the child, whatever the... No, that's not the... <laughs> <laughs> that's not what I mean. The game. Um, and and I, I discover which of them is not... The offspring of, of Boris Johnson, then what, what, what would I get as a prize for guessing that? Well, the prize for anyone able to guess which child did not issue from the loins of our illustrious Prime Minister was an evening with Johnson. But this had to be quickly clarified as a dinner with Johnson and not a night of unbridled passion. However, this wasn't because any of the MPs thought that they were in for a chance of winning a bonking from Boris. But because Johnson himself had misinterpreted the terms of the prize and was going around a conference giving clues to all the female attendees. <laughs> uh, God, whatever the number it is of children he actually has is going to go up pretty sharply. <laughs> well, no, because it wasn't... A night of unbridled passion with Boris Johnson. It was just dinner. Right, yeah, yeah. And they don't want the number of children to increase, therefore making the game more difficult. Because it's already pretty difficult in itself. So I understand why they put that rule in place. Well, the game was just being played for the several days of the conference, not for slightly longer than nine months, which would be the length of time necessary for another child to be added. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I thought this must have been so successful. They'd do it every year. <laughs> Although then you'd just basically look for the kid that you know isn't Johnson's kid. So 
Yeah, I feel like you'd get to know who they are then, wouldn't you? You could only do it once. Yeah, although if he does have an infinite number of kids, you would just have an infinite number of kids to put in there. So you could have different kids each time. That's true. Because it's literally an infinite number of them. Yeah, yeah. Even if some of them don't want to do it, you could be like, well, it doesn't matter. You're ex- we just find what he does because there's literally an infinite number of them. Yeah, well, where would you keep infinite number of kids? I mean, you'd need infinite space. We don't have that, Chris. This is silly. This is absolutely silly. <laughs> so does the game go on until someone guesses or do they keep the winning guess a secret and basically anyone can win? You've got like essentially one in 20th chance of winning. So like the guess the weight of the fruitcake at a village fair, people would write their guess on the, the form. And then at the end of the conference, they would announce who had won. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And if it's more than one person, then, you know, you get, do they all go to the same dinner date or does each one get a private time with uh, Boris Johnson? Not that kind of private time. We've established that, but just a normal bit of chat, bit of banter, bit of bants. So I don't know because nobody actually won the guess which kid isn't Boris Johnson's game at the Tory party conference because due to an administrative error, all 20 kids were actually Boris Johnson's. (laughs) <laughs> well, he's got so many that they actually outnumber children who aren't Boris Johnson. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure if you go back far enough, we're all related to Boris Johnson. In a way, Piper, we're all Boris Johnson's children. Yeah. <laughs> right, so <laughs> you said, Chris, that the, uh, the just going back to the, the party conference itself, what sort of games do they actually play then, other than Guess the Child? So they had a duck pond game. You know, the one where you have to hook a duck with the pole. I think it's, yeah, I think it's called uh, Hook a Duck. Oh, well, I've heard it called Duck Pond Game, so that's what I called it. But anyway, this was with actual live ducks. Oh, so essentially um, hunting. No, because hunting is done with a gun, and this was done with poles with hooks on them, and hooks stabbed into the backs of ducks. <laughs> oh, lovely. Theresa May had a kissing booth. No. <laughs> no. No. Okay, I'll move on then. Yeah. <laughs> and they had a version of the popular game Whack-A-Mole, but instead of small plastic representations of subterranean mammals, it had small plastic representations of working class people, and it was called whack a <laughs> We've, we've only we've only gone and got you another fact. <laughs> <laughs> we've been down to shops and got another fact. We've bloody done it. We've <laughs> got you. <laughs> <laughs> been down the co-op and got another fact. Here, here it is then. <laughs> In the 1990s, a school had to close due to violence between collectors of pogs and tazos. Chris and I are... Both children of the 90s, and as such, the collectible disc craze was an integral part of our early school years. Kids love collecting things, and some of these things were shiny too, so like, I can understand why they were popular, because they like collecting and they like shinies. So, but like, violence, Chris, over Pogs and Tazos, why? So for anybody who doesn't know, Pogs and Tazos were basically the same thing. They were both commercialised versions of the milk cap game played in Hawaii in the 1930s. 
where you'd stack your little plastic discs and hit them with a bigger plastic disc. However, there were subtle differences between the games, such that fans of one didn't necessarily get on with fans of the other. For one, Pogs was a purely destructive game, while Tazos had those little incisions around the edge so you could slot them together and build things with them. Yeah, it, it was it was an expansion on the Milk Cap game because there was basically a second game as like an Easter egg where you could just build a, a mess. <laughs> yes, <laughs> or in other people's cases, actual things. Um, <laughs> um, and there was even a socio-economic bent to the rivalry as Pogs tended to be more expensive while you could get Tazos in bags of crisps, giving the whole thing a slightly working class air. So obviously this was mad when I was little. Um, they, 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 I didn't, I didn't actually know that there was a game. To be honest, I just thought they were collectible, like Pokemon cards. Oh yeah, you'd play it by stacking them up and then hitting it with the slammer. And I think the points were scored based on how many landed on each side, as it were, like closer to each player. Right. I mean, you could play it for keeps, so any that landed on your side, you would keep. Oh, right. Yeah, that's risky then. So then there's almost like a gamble involved. Well, there is a gamble involved, I suppose. It's because, you know, you, 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 you have to be pretty good at the game in order to keep your nice collection of shiny round discs. Yeah, although unless you have a superhuman knowledge of the laws of physics, you wouldn't be able to predict where any other pogs would land after you hit them with a slammer. Right, so you're suggesting then that this is not a game of skill? You know what, I think it might have been one of those cases where people thought there was some skill to it, like people invented their own little strategies, but in actual fact it was all just effectively random where the pogs went after you hit them with a slammer. Yeah, okay, okay. So what we've done there is we've established what, what they are, and why yes what and why <laughs> so essentially they're the same thing apart from minor differences what actually happened then with this school where things got really violent then yeah so at this uk school the rivalry between pogs and tazos took a dark turn it began innocently enough as the usual schoolyard fad like yo-yos or pokemon cards with breaks and lunch times being devoted to the game but things got violent when an errant Tazo from a nearby game got mixed up in a recently slammed pile of Pogs. And the posh Pogs player did not appreciate his collection being sullied by a tawdry Tazo. Right. Posh Pog player. Presumably the player was posh, not the Pogs that they owned. Well, as I've said, Pogs were more expensive. So in a way, Pogs were posh. Right. Okay. So not like gold plated or anything. These aren't special pogs that they've got a reason to be particularly violent about or like protective or whatever. They're just normal pogs. They're normal pogs, slightly posher by virtue of a value over Tezos, but also owned by a posh person. Right. Yes. Okay. So... Therefore imbued with a extra patina of poshness. Wonderful. So this tawdry Tazo owner, as you as you put it, are, they, are these both boys? Um, it did seem to be a boy thing, but it could have been a girl. So I, I realised I was in my head making an assumption, but I feel like it's not an entirely uninformed assumption. <laughs> but yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with that. What did the little fucking dickhead do then? Why? <laughs> so he threw his tazo, and it ended up in. You said an errant tazo. Were they just lobbing them at each other? 
Well, no, just you would stack them up and hit them with the slammer. Oh, right. And so... that would make them fly everywhere. No, and yeah. this one went particularly far all the way over onto a neighbouring Pog game. Right, so there was someone playing Tazos near someone playing Pogs. Yes. Right, there were two games going on at once, basically, which is always recipe for disaster, especially when, you know, they look kind of similar. So, like, this is going to get confusing a little bit. So a Tazo ended up in a Pog pile, basically, and a Posho kicked off. Uh, that is what happened, yes. But that's not what happened, is it, Chris? Because we kicked off, and what would happen normally in a in a not insane scenario is someone would go, the posho would go like, you've got your tazo in my pogs. I say, you've got your tazo in my pog. <laughs> Mama, this ruffian has got his tazo in my pogs. <laughs> I demand satisfaction. <laughs> so it got out of hand. Things Things got a bit messy, right? What happened? Yeah, so what began then as a small scuffle between the posh Pog player and the tawdry Tazo player escalated in the following weeks into all manner of playground scuffles, skirmishes outside the school gates, insulting and poorly spelt notes passed in class between Pog's players and Tazo's players. It all came to a head when, in a bizarre 90s toy fad version of Lindsay Anderson's classic film, If, the school was taken over by the rival Pogs and Tazos gangs, having been spurned to savagery by the school's annual non-uniform day. Oh, that oh, that will go to the reds, won't it? It always does. Oh. Um, it's like a license to act up non-uniform day. You mean to say they took over the school? In what way? Are they, is there some sort of um, giant throne made of school books where on, on which the posh Pog player sits in, with a giant staff with a gold Pog on the top of it? No, they didn't take over the school in an administrative sense. <laughs> More that uh, the extra level of violence that erupted on this non-uniform day was such that the entire school was engulfed by it. Oh, right. So it basically, like, it just took the school away from its original purpose and it just became a ground for, well, a, a war ground for Pogs and Tazo players. Yes, and the one-day war was characterised by the differences between Pogs and Tazos and the kids who collected them. The Pogs gang were aggressive and none too bright and so just used their big plastic slammers as projectile weapons, and sometimes threw their actual pogs like ineffective throwing stars. The Tazos gang, meanwhile, were more resourceful. They used Tazos' modular nature to construct weapons out of their discs, swords and clubs, which would admittedly shatter immediately upon impact, though this itself was part of the appeal, I assume. Oh, yeah, because it's like explosions then, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, they even constructed cumbersome armour out of Tazos, which was used more for intimidation because, like the weapons, it would break apart as soon as it was hit. And for intimidation purposes, they made sure that the Tazos they used in the construction of the armour were all adorned with more intimidating images so monsters from the various properties that were always advertised on Tazos, because Tazos were very much into the whole licensing thing. Right, yeah. So they all all their sort of stuff that they were doing was very sort of on brand for Tazos. They were they they were taking on board the 
the the identity of Tazos as their battalion. Yes, they converted the branding of Tazos into military tactics. So it sounds like this, this isn't really conducive to a good working environment for school children, is it, Chris? I don't. I mean, not really. I don't think you'd learn much. I mean, maybe a bit about military tactics, <laughs> but not much about you know animal farm or the eight times table. No, no, no. But I mean, arguably, in this dystopic future, we're probably are going to be find those skills more useful than. <laughs> So are you saying that these kids will be better equipped for the oncoming apocalypse due to their experience with milk cap based warfare? That's exactly what I'm saying. I'm glad you've got <laughs> you got that. <laughs> where were the teachers in all of this, Chris? Where were where where was the faculty? Well, the teachers initially tried to reprimand the gangs, but soon realized that this was well above their pay grade. So most of them ended up hiding. Some of the pupils claimed afterwards that they saw some of the teachers getting in on the milk cap based violence although all the staff denied this afterwards right well yeah no of course of course and a good thing to bear in mind of course is this is the 90s so you no one had any mobile phones or anything so you couldn't film bits of it to sort of incriminate the teachers exactly it was the word of teachers against the words of pupils who had not administratively taken over a school with pogs and tassos. So who are you going to believe? Or at least who is a school board going to believe? I think if anyone brought that scenario to a school board with very little proof, they wouldn't They wouldn't believe anyone and they'd just go, go away. Well, they've got to deal with it because, I mean, there was actual damage to the, the school equipment and the buildings. No, why? I'm sorry, Chris, but if, if, if I was on a school board and a head teacher came to me and just went, listen, they've started rioting. Well, what have they started rioting over? Uh, little plastic discs? Right. Are they, are, they, are, they, are they setting fire to things? Are they using automatic weapons? Well, they're turning the discs into weapons or well, things that look like weapons that don't really do very much right you need to leave i feel like piper you would thankfully never get a place on a school board i mean if violence like any kind of violence has erupted in a school that needs to be dealt with right it does but i would want to get to the bottom of it because i wouldn't believe that that's what really happened i'd just be like what's this really about right okay so you've changed your tune now because at first you just told them to go away yeah, well, I'd I'd calm down. <laughs> you've had to sit down and a cup of tea, <laughs> and you've realised maybe I need to look into this a bit more. <laughs> yeah, and I'd I'd sit him down and go, listen, right? What's this really about? What's actually happened? Because what you just this whole this whole scenario you've just fed to me obviously never happened. So, uh, <laughs> so what did the school board do then? What what actually happened in the end? Well, by three thirty, the police had been called in and the respective gang leaders detained. Various injuries to teachers and pupils, as well as damage to school equipment, meant that the school had to be closed, both for repairs and until a full investigation could be conducted into what was dubbed the Pogazzo kerfuffle. The Pogazzo kerfuffle. 
Yes, a portmanteau of Porg and Tazzy. No, I I know. <laughs> because this school board actually cared about the welfare of its pupils and teachers, unlike the hypothetical one to which you belong, Piper. Yes, I wouldn't bother with such portmanteau silliness. Or investigating violence in your schools. Yes, or, or that, or that, obviously, or <laughs> <all> that. But... <laughs> When the universe started, however that happened, there were some other things that started to definitely happen. And when humans turned up, they were like, how will we tell the world about these things that are definitely happening? Particularly the things that sort of seem made up but aren't. Then along came us to do that very thing. And here we are now with with the third fact. <laughs> A very short history of the universe by Piper Dawes. Well, it's not necessarily short, but it's, it is the bits that mattered. It was quite short, though. I mean, it's not, you know, a book, is it? It was just a couple of sentences. Yeah. That's quite short in terms of histories. Anyway, the Romans had sponsored gladiators. Uh, yeah, cool. Uh, well, the Romans, <laughs> the Romans were well scary, Chris. They did a lot of killing and torturing and raping and conquering. But at the same time, brought with them education, aqueducts, roads, sewage systems and a whole almost comically long list of things. So they were they're full of knowledge, but also deadly, sort of like an overworked librarian or an American school. But the Romans also did some quirky things like sponsored gladiators, apparently. Is this, is this like nowadays when you get a sponsored walk, Chris? Gladiators going around getting sponsors from spectators in aid of smallpox research or something. You mean, would they say, like, I'm going to be fighting another man to the death for charity and the glory of the emperor? and then get them to sign their name and however much they're going to give on a sheet of paper. Marcus Vasilius, 10 denarii. Yeah, exactly. Exactly, yeah. No, that's exactly... When you said the Romans had sponsored gladiators, I thought that that's, 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 what, you, that's what it... What else could it possibly mean? <laughs> well, it doesn't mean that. <laughs> but also, just as an aside, what would Roman small pork research... Small pork? <laughs> <laughs> we need to look into these really tiny pigs. <laughs> That's what I call my penis. <laughs> <laughs> but what would Roman smallpox research look like? Well, I mean, we know it all now, so I don't know. <laughs> There's no point then. It's all sorted, so. <laughs> so Roman gladiators were usually slaves. And their owners usually had other business concerns, in addition to owning people. Because gladiatorial games were basically the Roman equivalent of TV, as in they were watched by lots of people, slave owners would use their gladiators as sort of living advertisements. Okay, so so basically, that because they were their property, basically they used them... As, as 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 what like billboards? They, how how do they actually go about advertising their businesses? Do they just they like you know the, the these walking billboard gladiator slave people? Uh, how do they do that then? Do they, do they just go around telling everyone how great their slave owner's company is? No, so sponsor gladiators would wear colours associated with whatever business they were advertising. They might have a logo or crest or whatever painted on their armour associated with the business or product they were advertising. Right, yeah. 
But um, as I said, they were usually slaves. But there were people whose primary occupation was trading in slaves. And some of these took advantage of gladiator sponsoring by renting their gladiators to businesses who didn't have slaves of their own as a living advertisement. Oh, so what? They they had like a side hustle in in human trafficking, but sort of on a on a rent basis. No, their main business was human trafficking. Their side hustle was using the humans they were trafficking as advertisements. Oh, okay, lovely. So, what sort of businesses actually got got to do that then? What uh, what what sort of business is advertised on gladiators? Basically, what you'd expect for Roman times, food, wine, sandals, weapons, slaves. Some slave gladiators would end up advertising slaves. The Roman military would sponsor gladiators to increase recruitment, usually in games reenacting glorious Roman victories. Okay. But like in TV advertising, in which businesses want to advertise their products during the most popular programmes. Roman businesses wanted to sponsor the most successful gladiators for a number of reasons. Firstly, successful gladiators became very popular, basically celebrities. And so whatever product they were advertising would also become popular. Oh, presumably the rent for them would be higher then as well. Exactly. It's like how advertising during Coronation Street is apparently the most expensive advertising slot on British TV. Right, yeah. There was also the idea that nobody wanted their product advertised by somebody who ended up getting brutally killed. That gladiator just got his head lopped off and won't be buying Scipio sandals. Oh, I see. So the ones that are a more safe bet because they're doing really well, they'd want to keep advertising on them because they're less likely to die. Yeah, but also it's the negative connotations that would develop in spectators' minds. It's not like Scipio sandals will cause you to get decapitated. It's just seeing the person advertising Scipio sandals get decapitated might irrationally produce negative connotations in your mind. Right, yeah, 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 yeah. Whereas that gladiator just skewered a man with a trident. I'm off to buy some Scipio sandals. Oh, God, yes, right, yeah. (laughs) Lastly, while it was customary for gladiators to dedicate the killing blow to the emperor, it was not mandatory. And so sponsored gladiators would use the opportunity to vocally advertise whatever product or business was sponsoring them. And Roman historian Gabinius recorded some of these sponsor dedications when he was complaining about the apparent commercialization of the games. Uh, some of these killing slogans included by Cassius Cotton, just before some guy stabbed another guy in the heart. Cassius what? Cassius Cotton? Cotton, yes. Cotton is in the fabric. Ah, right. Yes. Your feet deserve Scipio sandals, just as a a man chopped off another man's head. And Vinius wines, red or white, it tastes all right. And then he stabbed a guy with a spear. Do you know what? Do you know what that, Chris? It sounds because this uh, the the scenario I've got is obviously a man with a sword over another man's head, 
shouting an advertising slogan, but it sounds like he's shouting it at the guy. (laughs) You should buy some sandals. If you don't, I'll chop your head (laughs) off. And it's it sounds like they've got a long way to go at that point in uh, in advertising, but you know they're doing their best. <laughs> yes, from its humble beginnings in the death factory that was the Coliseum. <laughs> but I mean, I thought you were going to say because you know you're saying that they were they 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 prefer to advertise on the gladiators that are more successful. I thought you were going to say that one of the reasons was because they're physically bigger, so there's more advertising real estate. Well, that's not always the case. A big hulking guy with lots and lots of muscles might lose to a smaller, nimbler guy who can dodge his attacks and get right up in there and jam his dagger between his his armour. Right, yeah, good point. I mean, I'm not really um, au fait with gladiator tactics, but I thought, you know, the big Russell Crowe guy was the best one. Well, in the film Gladiator, the Russell Crowe guy is the best one, because he's the the protagonist of the film. Yeah, I mean, his name's on the poster. Well, no, his name isn't Gladiator. His name's Marcus Decimus Meridius. No, but no, Russell Crowe's name's on there as well. So these gladiators, they basically, outside of the Colosseum, they were just billboards then, really, for these businesses. Well, no, they were billboards in the Colosseum, because that's where they were doing their fighting, that's where people were watching them. Oh, right, so it was was it just in the Colosseum then, or were they, were they wandering around the streets outside of... Uh gladiating no they were because outside of the coliseum most of them being slaves were in the compound of whoever owned them it was in the coliseum that all the thousands of people were watching them and therefore seeing whatever product they were advertising oh right okay well i i assumed like if if you're if you're a slave gladiator man owner and you you were like oh well i need i need some rizzler from the shop so can you (laughs) There's some Roman Rizzler, yeah. <laughs> can you listen, Maximus? Can you fuck off down co-op and grab us, <laughs> grab us, grab us a couple of king size Roman co-op, yeah, yeah, Rome op and row op, row row op. There you go. Um, <laughs> pop down to row op and and grab us a couple, a couple of couple of packs of green Rizzler and get yourself something while you're there. No, actually, don't. You're literally my <laughs> slave. Um, can't be too nice. Um, but listen, while you while you're on your way down, pop the sandwich board on, or pop your colours on, or whatever the, the whatever technique they were using, and and just make sure anyone that sees you knows that my um, my crazy paving business is still going. I don't know anything about Roman times. All right, before you. Start- well, that much is abundantly evident. <laughs> um, so there's a myriad things to comment on there. The one thing I will pick out, though, is that I don't think they would use a sandwich board because I don't think a gladiator could fight effectively while wearing a sandwich board. Not with that attitude. Or any attitude. (laughs) And now that I think of it, though, uh, you know those uh, spinner guys, people who spin the signs around for shops and stuff? Oh, yeah, the... yeah. Yeah, that could be weaponized. Ooh. Have like a, a blade on the end or something. What would you call this sort of fight? Sandwich board wars. Well, because there's no sandwich boards. Well, suppose if you really wanted to make some kind of modern street advertising gladiatorial games, the sandwich board could be armor, while the the spinner board would be a, a weapon. 
Sold. I mean, I think if I had access to a spinny sign guy, I would tell him that. And I'd say, listen, you could know you can make this more fun and deadly. But <laughs> by having a fight, you can have armor, but it's got to be a sandwich board. That's the rules. Right, but the point I was making was that a sandwich board is cumbersome. So if you were wearing, like you probably couldn't spin a board very well while wearing a sandwich board. No, but you could lob it at someone's eye. You could, but that seems against the spirit of the, the spinny sign. I mean, I'm imagining like, you know, the guy in Raiders of the Lost Ark with his sword going all fancy spinny times. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm imagining that kind of thing with uh, the spinny board. Right, yeah, okay. Well, the guy with the sandwich board is more kind of like hulking, juggernaut, mass type guy. Yeah, so the guy with the spinny sign, he's just like, he does like a load of capoeira bollocks, doesn't go anywhere near the other guy. And then the guy with the sandwich board just like picks up the sandwich boards, takes it off and just knocks him on the head with it. No, the sandwich board is armour. The guy is using his mass. I'm imagining he's already a big guy, but his mass is increased by the sandwich board. So he is hoping to overpower the spinner guy, much like the X-Man juggernaut. Right, yeah, okay. Well, Chris, honestly, this, this, like, I, I never knew Roman times could be so interesting. Well, they are interesting, just not in this particular way, uh, because this has all been incidental to the actual fact. There were neither sandwich boards nor speedy guys in the Roman times. It was just guys lopping each other's heads off and skewering each other with tridents. Okay, well... (laughs) Oh, shall we move on? (laughs) Here's yet another piece of information that will enrich your life. It's fact four. During the preparations for her golden jubilee, they lost the queen. The queen? Elizabeth too. This time it's personal. <laughs> she's only she's only little, isn't she, Arliz? But she she might be little, but she's also got like a bunch of people watching her at all times. She can't have done a runner though, could she, Chris? Like when you say lost, do you mean she's dead? Is the current queen a clone, Chris? Because I've been suspecting this for a while. Well, I don't think cloning technology has developed that far. Also, if the Queen had died in 2002, the year of her Golden Jubilee, then her clone would only be 19 in 2021. Unless you're suggesting that she is a 19-year-old clone made up to look like an old lady. Well, that's a much more exciting premise. But she would also have been required to be an actual baby in 2002, made up to look like a grown-up-sized old lady. Well, I don't know how the cloning process works, Chris. I'm not an expert on this. Well, obviously you don't. But also you seem to be suggesting that the British monarchy operates on the old sitcom trope of replacing a dead pet with an identical one. I suppose that I I, I do get a lot of my my knowledge from sitcoms, so that does make sense. Yeah, so this isn't that. For Queen Elizabeth II's Golden Jubilee in 2002, marking the 50th year of her reign, the British Crown made the decision to use Liz lookalikes for the festivities. This would mean that as the actual Queen was gallivanting around the Commonwealth, 
she could also symbolically attend all the various street parties and village fates and what have you around the UK. So when you say lookalikes or lizalikes, they knew that they were lookalikes, the people at the, at the fates and stuff that she was symbolically attending. They knew she wasn't the real queen. They, were, they weren't getting the real queen to like, you know, Woodbridge summer fate. Oh yeah, this was not an attempt to hoodwink the British public. It was just a way of making all the people putting on these street parties and whatnot feel more involved in the Jubilee celebrations. Sort of bringing the country together in the way that the Tories pretend to do. But don't because they're too busy sigh an infinite number of children. <laughs> so the people organising the coronation, they, they were like, let's have all these, all these lookalikes. And they didn't think for a moment that there would be any confusion. Apparently not. The actual queen, though, Chris, how did they lose her? So, obviously, the crown wouldn't want any old impersonator as representing the monarchy. So, royal representatives attended a lookalike convention in London in 2001 to recruit imitation Elizabeths. And they took along the real queen for comparison. And when comparing the queens to the queen, they lost sight of the queen amid all the queens. If you're monarch's security, if you're if you're the security for the monarch, then surely you've got enough of a good idea of what your charge looks like to make sure that you can tell the difference between them and some lookalikes. Were they really, really bloody good lookalikes? Well, this was a lookalike convention for professional lookalikes, but also by sheer coincidence, the monarchical mimics were all wearing outfits similar to that worn by the real McCoy. The real, the real McQueen. Yes, the real McQueen. <laughs> I should have said that, actually, yeah. yeah you uh, which meant that it was very difficult for the Queen's handlers to spot her amid all the dignified doppelgangers. And the Queen was technically missing for five hours. She buggered off, basically. She got too excited during this... <laughs> Did she call it a me convention? Because I'd love that. I feel like she'd do that. Well, it wasn't a convention just for... Queen lookalikes. It was a lookalike general convention for people who make a living from looking like famous people. On that note, Liz was eventually found on the other side of the consonant convention, chatting away to a Henry Winkler lookalike who was trying to teach her the Fonz's signature hand gesture and vowel sound. As in, a with his thumbs up. No, I know. The thing is, I'm very distracted because all I can think of is the Queen attempting that now. And like that is just the most amazingly <laughs> adorable thing in the world. So I'm just, I'm not going to be able to concentrate for a bit now. Okay, well, I'll, I'll wait. I'm right, good. Um, <laughs> the thing is, the Queen is kind of known for having a slightly silly sense of humour. Is it possible that she just concocted this whole charade on purpose? I, I suppose it is possible. Good, moving on then. <laughs> it's also possible that she might have just gone into queen mode 
You know when she visits somewhere and she just goes around asking people what they do? I thought that was just her. Well, yeah, but that's like what she does when she goes to a place. And she might have just wandered around the convention asking people what they do. And if I want to be even more speculatively absurd, her five-hour absence could be accounted for by her asking a queer lookalike what she does and the lookalike might have responded in character with, One is the queen. What do you do? Thereby creating a conversational loop that could have lasted hours. <laughs> but that's just speculation. That's, yeah, I mean, that's what I'm going to go with. I prefer that to be true. So they eventually found her then. So they got her. So she's not a clone. And the queen we have now is also not one of the lookalikes which is what was going to be one of my questions and i i i just want to clarify that we do have the real queen back i mean i suppose it is possible that the queen that they found was a lookalike although less possible than her going missing on purpose although having said that maybe there's a sort of prince and the pauper scenario going on in which the Queen swapped places with a lookalike and has spent the last 20 years earning a living impersonating herself. I mean, she'd be the best Queen lookalike in the business. What would it be hilarious, though, uh, just uh, just sort of thinking about this on... on would it be hilarious if if you were trying to enter- get some entertainers for something and you you were... You went on the website for, you know, party entertainers and you, in, and you, you went to the Queen's section... And you're like, oh, I'll have some queens. And actually, it's just drag queens. Or maybe it's funnier if I say it the other way around. What you should have said was you Googled queens, attempted to find an entertainer for your, you know, village fate or whatever, mm. and ended up accidentally hiring RuPaul. See, that is really good. <laughs> and I think... I think... <laughs> That's it. That is the end of this episode of Chickens Can't See Cubes with me, Piper Dawes. I can be found on Twitter at Piper Talks and Christopher Parr from the Munchausen Institute. I can be found on Twitter at Troby Norton and the Institute can be found at Muin Photo Ray Ray, M-U-I-N-F-O-T-O-R-E-R-E. You can also contact the podcast on Twitter at C-Cubes and Facebook and Instagram at Chickens Can't See Cubes. We're also now on Discord because we're totally totally relevant and down with the kids as they don't say anymore. Search Chickens Can't See Cubes and join in the heavily moderated fun. Thanks for listening to Chickens Can't See Cubes. And remember, you probably could make it up, but we haven't. Honest. And we'll catch you once again on next week's show. Bye. Bye, everybody. I'm just not aware of the linguistic rules when it comes to small people's slang. Small people slang? Well, like dwarfs? Children. Oh, right. So not like Warwick Davis? No. No. (laughs) I don't think he has has his own genre of slang anyway, does he? Oh, well, I hope he does now. That would be great. (laughs) Yeah, it would, yeah. (laughs) If he had his own language. (laughs) Maybe that'll be a future fact on the show. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, let me just get my uh, notepad. (laughs) (laughs) I hope you don't, you're not insinuating we're making up facts, Chris, though. Ah, well, maybe it'll turn out to be true. (laughs) 
So what? Hang on. You come up with an interesting <laughs> fact before you know it's a fact, and then you go. And then just cross my fingers. Yeah. <laughs> I've got a really hope by the time we record this episode, this one turns out to be true. <laughs> <laughs>